Welcome back to the Deeper Dive podcast produced locally in the Roman Catholic Archdiocese of Washington, D.C. at Sacred Heart Roman Catholic Church in La Plata, Maryland. My name is Bill Winnell, as usual, joined by Father Larry Swink. Good morning, Father. Hey, good morning, Bill. And Monsignor Charles Polk. Good morning, Monsignor. Good morning. Today we're going to continue our discussion of heaven. Uh, today, uh, Father Larry and Monsignor Pope are going to discuss the resurrection of the body. Um We'll talk about a little bit about what we mean by that, what it looks like. Father Larry. Okay. Well, thanks, folks. And this is a, a second uh, part to a two-part two series that we're doing on heaven and what will heaven be like. And today we're going to talk about, uh, I believe, in the resurrection of the body and life everlasting. So, you know, the importance of, like, will we have bodies in heaven? What will they look like? What will they be like? Um, what are the sort of implications that the this theological truth uh, brings to how we should treat our bodies here on earth? You know, I like to start this uh, <laughs> this podcast with a story. I, I went to get a um, a bone scan for uh, a possible surgery, which we'll see what happens. Isn't that not. something you know, that old weeks. people do? Yeah, man. Uh, and actually, I passed. They said my bones are strong. I'm like, thank you, Lord. Um, and uh, that's actually one of the qualities of a resurrected body. We have strong bones. <laughs> but uh, I, I went into, I went on to the, to the examining table, and the nurse is like, um, what was your what was your gender uh, assigned at birth? And I was like, <laughs> male. And then she, she had the audacity. She's like, well, what, what are you now? I'm like, I'm, I, I, I just turned, I was like, I'm really like, um, sort of, uh, put off by that comment, ma'am. You know, I said, there are two genders there are male and female. I was born with a male body. I will die with a male body. Thank you. You know, it's just, but I, I just, it just, it dawned on me. Like, I mean, how would you ask someone, a priest, What's your gender? You know, and I, I just think it's it's what we're seeing is this this disregard that the body even matters, or you can even assign it whatever you want it to do, or do what you want with it. And anyway, I, I just it, it, we're not doing a podcast on gender ideology today. No. However, this I will say: yesterday, as I checked into the, I got to the hospital for my surgery at five forty-five in the morning. Uh, going through the admissions process, and they and and she asked me what my gender is as she's looking straight at me, and I said, I said, Bill, you would not be a good-looking woman. Okay, said, no offense. <laughs> I said, male, and she said, and then she, um, when I was done, she handed me a the hospital's guideline, and it started out at bullet points, and it, and the very first line in bold was, we asked this question, why we asked this question, and why it matters. And it was a set of like bullet points that I found very interesting because they were basically telling you trying or defending the importance of knowing your biological sex while going to the hospital. Well, wow. something that you just never hear that there are actually important reasons why we should know your right your biological. Well, sex. Let's not. But anyway, yeah, I know. I digress. I, but I yeah. So my point is, and we're gonna we'll touch upon these things, but like even how the body's treated at at funerals. Um, you know, there's, I think people have a very dualistic approach to the body. Like the body yeah. is just sort of like this corpse and then there's a soul and then when the soul leaves the body, it's no longer anything. But we, we believe that the, the, uh, body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. So Monsignor Pope, let's just start off, you know, with some of these, I, I, I know we were, we, there are different qualities that, uh, you know, St. Thomas Aquinas and the church teaches that the, the res, the resurrection body will have. Um, I think many of these qualities can be seen in our Lord Jesus Christ when he uh, rises from the dead and he says, I am not a ghost. He says, this body can eat fish and this body can, it can walk through doors too. Uh, and uh, yeah. do you, you want let, let's sort of, well, first off, to start off, what would you say are some preliminary marks about why the, the teaching itself, the resurrection body is, is actually an important teaching for heaven, but also our understanding of the temple of the Holy Spirit, our bodies. Yeah. Well, first of all, just to affirm the, the things you all were just talking about, we really are living in a kind of neo-Gnostic heresy now, where the body is just some incidental whatever. Uh, it's not. Uh, we are body persons. I am a male to the body, not the soul. 
the soul is already immortal. Um, it has a um, quality about it, you know, to, to, to remain. The body, however, dies, but it, it will literally stand up again, which is what the word resurrection means, to be standing. The German word for resurrection is erstanden, which means to be standing up again. Um, and uh, likewise, anastasis in the Greek, right, which is the word for resurrection, um, refers to, again, to be standing up again, stasis plus ana. So we have the, the idea here that fundamentally, the, the very term resurrection isn't just that when we die, we get to go to heaven if we're good, um, probably through purgatory. But um, we, it, it is fundamentally that our bodies one day, too, will, will, will share. And it says in the letter to the Philippians um, that the Lord will change our lowly bodies to conform to his glorified body by the power that enables us, enables him also to bring everything into subjection to himself. That's why, as you pointed out just a minute ago, Father Larry, that um, the, um, the images of our Lord risen from the dead are important for us. He eats, he can be touched, he's not a ghost, he has flesh and bones, and yet he can appear and disappear at will, seemingly go through locked doors and, and, and on and on. So we'll, we, we can look at those things in more detail as you want to lead the discussion, but I think the first thing to say is that... Um, uh, all the preliminary remarks you just made are very important for us. The body is essential to who we are. Our glory as human beings is to unite the two orders of creation in a kind of a hylomorphic union. So we, we unite the material and the spiritual, uh, whereas angels are pure spirit. God as God is pure spirit. But we unite both the material world and the spiritual world in, in our body person. I'm spiritual, and yet I am also a body. And this is our glory. That's why it has to rise. The body has to rise. God doesn't just willy-nilly uh, give us bodies, but that rather these two fundamental orders of creation are united in us. That is our special glory as human beings, and we should exult in it um, and, and not see the body as a tool or a prison, one bright, uh, uh, the, the prison of the cage, don't fly in the dove, we'll fly out of the cage. You know, as if our body were like <laughs> a cage, you know. Um, look, I, there are even spirits that sort of refer to that, but at the end of the day, our body is not a prison. My body is me, and I am my body. And that's why if I if you hit me in the nose, I didn't say, why did you hit my nose? I say, why did you hit me? Okay, enough, enough said. So I just thought that'd be a good, I hope that's a, I might not have directly answered all aspects of your sure. question, but let me let you redirect it. Sure. Well, that it's a great starting point. And, um, you know, our, our faith teaches us, Monsignor, that the resurrection of the body will happen at the end of the world, at the final judgment, where the bodies, all the bodies of the dead will be, um, you know, brought together again with their immortal soul, whether in heaven and hell, mm -hmm. for the final judgment. And, uh, and, and, and I, I think, uh, we don't know that day or the hour. And I, I guess the, the, the first thing is like some of this, um, the human body in, in heaven for that, for that matter, not much in hell, but, uh, that, that this risen body will lack nothing and it will, it will be made perfect as our heavenly father is perfect and our soul will be perfect. So everything's perfect about this body. And so maybe we can kind of go into this, um, qualities of those who have risen to the dead. So like, first off is. How old will be will be, or what is some of the theories about how old we will be in heaven? What, uh, according to the saints or the the, you know the, some of the yeah. doctors of the church and so forth? Can you comment on that? Is there usually yeah? You know, Saint Saint Thomas asked a lot of questions in the Summa, and again, um, let's just dismiss a couple of um arguments that try to dismiss this. First, some people argue, well, Thomas didn't even write this; he was dead by this time. This is just by some disciple. Well, I don't know. It's in, it's in the Summa, and it's in the Thomistic tradition. Uh, and so we're going to just say it's Thomas. But another thing is, some people are dismissive. Well, what do you mean, like, what age will be in heaven? Will their hair grow or our nails grow? I mean, it's dumb questions. But again, they're not dumb questions because a Thomas reasons to them. He uses both scripture and the power of human reason to come to these conclusions. So... When I say to you, uh, according to Thomas, that we'll all be in our early to mid-30s in heaven, I mean, just in terms of if you want to look at a sort of an age range, what will our bodies look like? Well, kind of like we would look when in our early to mid-30s. He's not just making it up 
or he's not just being pious in the sense of, well, Jesus died at 33, so we'll all be 33. It, it, there is something of that, but ultimately there is this reason. Now, here it comes, because we want to look at the perfection of the body. So our bodies, our risen bodies are going to be perfected. And part of that perfection, then, if you look at the question of age, there are there are two things related to age. There is um, what we call, you know, a defect of age, namely immaturity. And then there is an excess of age that we kind of call decrepitude or, you know, <laughs> age, getting old. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and we all know that that um, our bodies tend to be in their prime through their 20s. But even in our 20s, there's some, some things still developing. Um, I have a letter jacket from uh, when I was 18 in, in high school. And I was just as tall as I am now. But my arms, well, anyway, let's just put it this way. That letter jacket doesn't fit for a lot of reasons, mostly belly reasons. But even the arm length is like about, my arms are almost a third longer than they mm. were then. So there was some growing I was still doing. Also, we understand today, especially that the frontal lobe of the brain seems to be still developing into one's early to mid 20s. Uh, that part where we use a lot of judgment and stuff. We all know how reckless young people can be, even if, quote, physically mature. There's a certain recklessness and foolishness in youth. So, again, well, let's just argue that right around age 30 or 30 ish, this is when we have that perfection of age, namely, we're neither immature nor were ex excessive uh, of age, namely um, old age or decrepitude. And that's the perfect age. And so our bodies uh, in heaven, when they rise, would be manifest as somewhere in that, what we, from our point of view, what we would call age 30-ish, right. early 30s. Yeah, that, that makes sense. I, I read an article, it was a moron, <laughs> it was a sports article about how athletes actually, their prime is right around 33, actually. Um, mm. you know, yeah. So, uh, pretty interesting, you know, uh, that, you know, there, it, it just, it's, uh, you would think twenties or 18, I say actually not, it's somewhere around mm. that age. It, like, and then, and then everything kind of just goes down, you know, mm. your strength Ex and your stamina and all this exponentially. I mean, especially when you hit 40, it's like, good grief, what happened? But uh, I like that point. So there's some science behind this essentially yeah. that, that it makes sense that if we're looking at heaven as perfection, you know, um, the fulfillment of all desire, we're, we're seeking perfection, then why not be at a perfect age in heaven? And then there's, I guess, I mean, there's a bit of equality, I guess. I mean, well, we have to be careful with that, saying that everyone is the same in heaven, but that we all, it makes sense that there's not like, oh, well, that's a baby and they're, you're old. And there's some kind of equality going on in heaven too, uh, I guess in some ways, but that's a great <clears throat> point. Um, what about- Maybe can I add so one other thing for can I just yeah. add one thing, Father Larry? I sometimes run into problems with people who maybe lost a child, right? Uh, in their a child died uh, at age right. five or as an infant. The question being, well, you can say that I'll interact with my child, my infant. I won't be able to cuddle my infant in heaven um, because they're going to be thirty-three. And I said, yeah. <laughs> in other words, you know, you you may have emotional reasons for wanting to relate to that child when they died and, and you know they froze in time for you but at the end of the day what we all want for each other is perfection and to be an infant is not to be perfect we all love infants but poopy diapers an inability to feed yourself or clothe yourself or talk is not human perfection and so again we want for everybody including our little children who may have died even if we have sentimental reasons for wanting to relate to them as we knew them at the end of the yeah. day, what we want for them is perfection. And that's, it's actually kind of cool and consoling at the same time. Cause you're like, it's not <clears> like <throat> the memory of losing the baby is not there. You're seeing this adult that's in their perfect glory. And it's like, wow, we can have a adult conversation here. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. <laughs> It'd be kind of weird if they're like, you know, talking, you know, Ugu like, Gaga. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. Um, and you don't have to use that baby voice, you know, when you're talking yeah, about right. you know, and all that. Um, <laughs> Yeah, it's so funny how, um, you know, with pets and, and, and just a side note, pets oh, and animals and, and babies. I mean, I was out to dinner with a couple uh, last night with um, Father Ray and uh, uh, just reconnecting and, and uh, just watching how everyone who held the baby just changed their persona like really quickly. But anyway, back to back to this. Um, now, there are different qualities of this body. And um, 
I'll name some of them. We can just maybe go through some of them. And one, I think, which I think for all of us is impassibility, which is the human body in heaven will never suffer. Um, do you want to say a few words about that, Monsignor, about why that's an important teaching, impassibility? Um, yeah. And it's not insensible, but it's uh, it won't experience pain ever again, which I, once again, I, I just think is one of those um, qualities that I think every human yeah. person uh, ourselves included, uh, would just love to wake oh. up one morning and just be like, wow, I don't even ever have to take aspirin again. Or, you know, I don't, free, man. I don't... Yeah, yeah. Right. So, uh, you know, say a few words about that impossible impassibility. Yeah. As you've already noted, the term impassibility means to not be able to suffer. By the way, most theologians agree, and I, I think there, you know, this is a consensus in the church, that one of the preternatural gifts that Adam and Eve had before sin was impassibility. They could not suffer physically or die. Mm-hmm. Um, this was lost uh, in the um, uh, sin, original sin, and right. so suffering and death came to us. God had said so much, had he not, is that if you mm-hmm. eat of that tree, you know, suffering and death will be your lot. Okay. Now, on the, on the other hand, when, when we rise, when our, it's, it, let me just read you two scriptures, just so you know, we're on scriptural grounds here. This is from 1 Corinthians 15. It says, the dead shall be raised imperishable or impassable, and we shall be changed. For that which is perishable must clothe itself with imperishability, that which is immortal with immortality. Or again, from Revelation 21, the Lord will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death, mourning, crying, or pain for the old order has passed away mm. so again there is a um um an in, an inability of our bodies to suffer pain or death uh in the when when it rises that it will be a, a particular gift and again this one could argue and thomas goes on i won't go into all the subtleties but the passability suffering for us isn't just physical uh there are emotional suffering psychic sufferings there are all kinds of things all kinds of ways that we suffer, but the resurrection, the resurrected body, which interacts with our psyche or mm. our uh, our spirit, will will be will be incapable of, of suffering. And Thomas does a lot in the Summa that I think would take us into the weeds. But isn't that a beautiful thought, though, to simply finally be free? And you know, so, some younger people hardly know physical suffering, um, or if they know it, they know it only for a moment or two—a stubbed toe or a broken arm. Um, but they overcome it. Whereas as we start to get older, these sufferings don't easily go away. <laughs> you know, rheumatisms and, uh, well, let's say getting old is not for the faint of heart. <laughs> right. Amen. <clears throat> so that when we get, as we start to get older, our ability to overcome physical limitations and pain becomes more a question of management rather than just, you know, getting over it or walking it off, so to speak. And so I think maybe for those of us who are older, this gift of impassibility is really something that we can long for. Yeah. And I, I think a lot of us experience that when we uh, accompany someone who's dying of cancer and so with that longing to get out of this situation, you know, mm-hmm. to be able to, to be free of that. And it's, I, I think it's a very, and I, I think too, it's a very uh, comforting thing to remind a person that, you know, one of the things that people feel very alone in their suffering, that, Hey, you know, there's good things coming if you hold on to your faith and hope and love of Jesus. That there is this uh, it, it, this eternal impassibility, and I I think that's incomprehensible for most people. Like you know, because we're just we're always waiting for the next foot to drop. You know, all the time. It's like, oh, wait a minute, ah, you know, uh, you know. Uh, so that's very good. What about um? What is this? The there another one that Thomas speaks about is the. Uh, the spirit-like quality of the risen body is called subtle subtlety or subtility. Um, mm-hmm. And basically, I mean, you can go more into detail here, Monsignor, but um, it, the glorified body will not, be, will not enable it to occupy the same place with another body unless this be done by a miracle. Or does this mean that um, it can just, uh, that it can, what does that mean? What does that, what does he mean by that subtlety of the risen body? I guess if, if for the sake of explaining, I like to combine this with another concept of St. Thomas right. called agility. So he, I'm going to combine the idea of subtlety and agility. So let's start agility. with agility. because that, That'll help us to understand subtlety more. Agility means that we'll be able to travel like at the speed of thought 
right now, I can imagine the Ringstrasse in Vienna, Austria. I was there. There's the statue of Mozart. There's a Steffenstam in the background. There's the Habsburg Palace up the street. All right. Or the Black Sand Beach in Hawaii. I was there in 1968. And I have vivid memories of it. And uh, the sand was hot. I'd say black sand is hot. Um, now, in order to go to those places, I had to schlep my body onto a plane and fly there. Whereas in the resurrection body, my, 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 I can be there instantly. I can travel at the speed of thought. The body is utterly agile so that whatever the soul is pondering or contemplating, the body is there. Okay. Uh, this is how angels, of course, can travel now because they don't have bodies. They, they travel at the speed of thought. But on the other hand, uh, for us now, that's not true. But when our bodies are risen, this will be true. Well, how do we know this? Well, Jesus would appear and disappear at will. He could be, it would seem like in two places at once. He's out there in Emmaus, and then suddenly he's back in Jerusalem appearing to Peter, and back and forth. So there is this quick quickness or agility. Now, subtlety is where we, we have certain qualities now that are there, but they're not extensive. For example, we have this incredible thing called eyesight. And we can see very subtle things. On the other hand, I can't see like microscopic things or uh, I can't take in a wide field of vision to the other extreme. I can only I have to sort of focus and on certain things at a time. Whereas in the resurrection body, our eyes will be able to see and penetrate the smallest aspects of something and to the widest implications of all created order. Uh, so that's an example like with eyesight. Let me just read something that Thomas says here. He says... Um, um, it says here, um, so as the intellect is said to be subtle because it reaches to the insight and the intrinsic principles and hidden natural properties of a thing, in like manner, a person is said to have subtle sight because he is able to perceive by sight things of the smallest size. And the same applies to the other senses. So people will have, uh, again, great uh, subtlety, great ability to penetrate to the um um uh, you know to the uh, to the to the the deepest aspects of things with sight and sound and touch and taste and smell there, there'll be this ability for us to see to the deepest levels of things that we don't currently have now although our intellect is able to do so so for example we've never seen the atom you can't see an atom an atom is a theoretical thing that exists in the mind um it's there, we can't see with our eyes, but our intellect can perceive it by its effects. So we know- We'll be, able to, we'll be that, able to see an atom when we, in, with subtlety? I would argue, yes. Now again, Thomas, of course, knew nothing of the atom or atomic levels of things, but nevertheless, uh, applying what Thomas says, we'll, we'll be able to see to the deepest levels of things in terms of their physical natures, as well as their spiritual and intellectual. We'll understand, you know, the four types of causality, formal causality, final causality, material and efficient causality. All these things will be evident to us, not just theoretically in our minds, but also to whatever degree they, they touch our senses, our, our five physical senses. And not to read into this too much, does that mean we can read the thoughts of others? Interesting. Um, if somebody says to me right now, can, can a demon read my mind? I say, no, he can't. Right. He's, they can perceive what you're thinking about based on what you're right. doing, but, but not, they can't read your mind. I, I still think, I'm just going to guess, uh, Father, on this, but I, I don't think in heaven we'll be able to just read each other's minds. Right. There, I, there would be still some level of privacy that might be appropriate to a person that, that that God would not reveal or allow to be revealed those thoughts. But on the other hand, since our thoughts will be all holy, pure, and perfect, maybe there won't be a need to guard our thoughts like we have now. So I don't know. Right. I, I, I could go either way on that. That's a, okay. something I hadn't thought about. Yeah, beautiful. Um, so, um, yeah, I like this idea of like being able to travel just by thought you know no no yeah. truck you know and yeah. drive around all the time you know i think a lot mm -hmm. of people look forward to that um quick question for you for, for either yeah. one of you that someone asked last week <clears throat> based on a first podcast will either one of will you all be priests in heaven yes i would say yes not i would say yes i we will be priests in heaven why well this is because 
this is an ontological change in the human soul. Just as everyone in heaven who is baptized here will be baptized in heaven, will be confirmed. These are things that create an identity for the person, which is um, ontological, not just, we're not just said to be priest. Uh, we're not just said to be Christian or said to be uh, something. We are that. We are that. I, who are you? I am a priest of Jesus Christ. All right. I am a disciple. I am a baptized member of his body. So, uh, yes. Hmm. Now, does that mean we'll be doing masses in heaven? No. The They will not need to do mass in heaven because, well, heaven is already, it's, it's kind of a mass. But it, 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 it's it, the sacraments point and lead us to uh, the reality. And once we're with the reality, uh, the, the sacrament will no longer be needed. Just like the manna ceased when they entered the promised land and they, um, they, they ate on the food of the land. So now our, our manna, namely Jesus and the Eucharist, um, will be not something we'll need in the same way in heaven. It'll be perfectly fulfilled there. Now, that said, if you, if you look at what the description of heaven is all about, it is kind of a mass, isn't it? There are priests in long white robes. There, is, there are hymns of praise being sung. They're reading from a scroll with seven seals. Uh, they're, they're reading, uh, they're, there's a lamb on an altar. And uh, again, incense and candles. So it, it, it is, but it's, it's the liturgy fully and perfectly experienced now, not um, uh, simply partially experienced as we have now. Right. Nice. Um, <clears throat> So what about uh, another, another um, you know, uh, thing about the resurrected body is that um, there's called clarity of risen bodies, the clarity. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, according uh, in Matthew chapter 13, 43, the just shall shine as a sun in the kingdom of their father. Mm -hmm. So what is that? I mean, but what does that mean? I mean, I, I, I mean, we have to be careful, say, practically speaking, what does that mean? Like, you know, was our, but can you give some insights on what Thomas might mean by the clarity of the body and mm -hmm. how it will shine uh, in heaven and so forth? Yeah. Right now, if, if you were to stand up two people, let's say one is in a state of grace and the other is not, okay, they're in some mortal sin. You look at those two human beings, there's no difference of obvious in their bodies. All right. Now, you know, maybe their attitude or something you could see. But at the end of the day, just physically, there doesn't seem to be a difference. However, in our resurrected bodies, the clarity, the beauty, the glory of our soul will fully shine forth. Uh, let me just read you a couple of other scriptures. You referenced the one there, but this is from Matthew 13 and verse 43. The just shall shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. Or again, wisdom 3, 7. The just shall shine and run to and fro like sparks among the reeds. Or again, 1 Corinthians 15, the body sown in dishonor, but shall shine forth in glory. So clarity, glory. Now, uh, St. Um, Catherine of Siena heard uh, the Lord once say to her, had the Heavenly Father, he says, Catherine, if you were ever to see a soul like up here in glory with me, you'd fall down and worship because you'd think you were looking at me. So that Jesus says, you must be perfect as a heavenly father is perfect. So we will not just have a human perfection in heaven, but the, a godly perfection. And this will shine forth. Thomas asked the question in the Summa, will we wear clothes in heaven? Of course not, silly. We won't need clothes, cloth, in other words. We will be clothed, but in glory, in light. Mm. And the, 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 the glory of God will shine forth through us so that there is this magnificence that the soul having been perfected with not just a human perfection, but even a godly perfection, this glory of the soul will shine forth through the body, which will also gloriously shimmer and shine as a perfect reflection of the soul. Right now, our, 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 our bodies imperfectly reflect the glory of our soul, mm. but then in heaven, perfectly. And so if that answers the question or you have some follow-up. Oh, I like that. I mean, it does talk about the white robes in heaven, but I mean, the white robe could be sort of an image of the glorified body. Yeah, I think, uh, again, and Thomas isn't just being pedantic when he says, well, we wear cloth in heaven. Well, it says the ribs, man. I mean, well, okay. But the point isn't, you know, that they're using, the word robe there is meant to illustrate something far more than just a piece of cloth that we'll be wearing. Uh, the, 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 the baptismal garment, 
for example, in you remember the, the parable where Jesus is talks about the wedding feast and finally right. everyone rejects these invitations. Finally, everyone's in there, except there's one guy that's not wearing a proper garment. Now, but the issue here isn't about a piece of cloth. It's about we have to be clothed in righteousness. He showed up to mass with like shorts and flip flops, you know, <laughs> and his head, his hat turned backwards. Yeah, <laughs> so, he, should be, he shouldn't be wearing it in the first place. But anyway. Yeah, but so it, it isn't just about the clothes, though. It is about the, the deeper reality. What do the clothes symbolize? Adore the Lord in the beauty of holiness. You know, the clothing mm -hmm. we wear is the cloth of, or the clothing of holiness, of righteousness, which God gives us. God clothes us in this righteousness. Put on, therefore, uh, in Christ Jesus, you know, things like uh, humility and kindness and compassion and meekness, you know, this, this clothing or this cloth which is not a piece of cloth, but is a, it is a symbol of righteousness. So I think that that's how we we can get around this question. Well, like, hey, man, it says to be wearing robes. Well, all right. But is, is it a robe of cloth or is there something deeper going on? So uh, I think that Thomas rightly concludes we won't be wearing cloth clothes, but we will be clothed, but in, in that light, in that righteousness that the white robe symbolizes. Hmm. Very beautiful. Um, I guess here's a question. Uh, I had this someone uh, once in, well, all right. So, so say, for instance, we have like a deficiency in our body. Like, for instance, I've had a hip replacement. I know I have friends that were born with mm -hmm. one limb. And yeah. We had a young lady who was in RCIA and she was born with one arm, you know. Yeah, right. Kind of embarrassing. In heaven, is that restored or not? Um, is there, scars in heaven because i know that there's been some talk about maybe we will carry some scars battle wounds mm -hmm. in heaven, but they'll yeah. be glorified what can you say about that will we will i get my hair back um will we be you know i mean i can't believe it took you almost 45 minutes to ask that question well i'm just asking i just i want to know i mean you know but these are these are important questions you know um what can you say about that one senior <clears throat> Well, again, I think Thomas has a lot. To... Somehow oh, I muted on. myself. I'm sorry. Hold on. You have to repeat um, yourself. There you go. Yeah. So uh, Thomas has a lot to say about some of these things and not so much about others. So let's 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 uh, let's look through. Okay. Let's let's take somebody who Jesus obviously showed them his wounds. So in his resurrection body, the wounds are there, but those wounds are the are the sign of his glory. Um, I don't know if he ever had a um, a scar from youth where he tore his hand open or uh, arm open on a nail, and there's a scar there. That's not the kind of scar that's going to be part of a resurrection body. But if there's something that we suffered in way in, in so far as glorifying God and the truth of the kingdom or martyrdom or so on, then I think we will uh, those those kinds of wounds will be there. But because they're a sign of our of our glory right? How God worked through us. So that aside, I think other things like, you know, I was born without a right arm. Will I have a right arm in heaven? I think that we should argue yes, because the perfected human body has two arms and we will have a perfected human body. Um, so prescinding from this question of scars that show forth our glory, other things that, that bespeak our, our passability or our suffering or our uh, imperfection in some way will be removed. I, for example, I've had most of my life psoriasis. I will not have psoriasis in heaven. I want to assure. I mean, I, I know I won't. You know, I mean, it's a, an inflammatory kind of disease. So uh, the, the point being is that I, yeah, right. So I think somewhere um, it doesn't pertain. You know, for example, to the perfected body to be bald, um, or to. Uh, have paralysis or to have any other affliction or anomaly that you could imagine. So it'll be truly our bodies. Uh, but as I say, if for some reason a person tragically either lost a limb or a kidney or had a hip replaced or whatever. Now this, this leads us, th th those things will not be evident in the resurrection body. Now uh, let me just give you this. This goes to something that Thomas talked about called identity. And what he means by that is that, the same body that falls in death will rise glorified. So the body that rises will be truly our body, but it will rise, but it will be glorified. Let's say perfected and glorified. Now, 
this, therefore, leads us to some interesting questions. Most of us are familiar with the typical burial that took place until recently, which is um, a person dies and their body's put in a casket and put in the ground as a marker. And one can imagine that tomb opening and that body, whatever remains of it coming forth to be raised up. But there are even all, all through human history, there have been people where this is not possible. Maybe they were devoured by wild animals, killed in the forest and devoured by wild animals or their body was buried at sea, or they were cremated, and their, sadly, their remains were scattered all over the place. Now, what we want to do is to say that whatever does remain of their body will rise. However, it, let's, let's avoid a cartoonish idea that God is running around saying, now, wait a minute, I know that right tibia is here somewhere. Wait a minute, I, I know that um, that pelvis has to be somewhere in the general location. <laughs> When we talk about the body rising, let's, let's, let's start philosophically and theologically. It pertains to the human soul, to the human uh, soul, to, uh, if you will, build a body. We are body persons. So the human soul it pertains to the soul to, if you will, build a body and maintain that body. <clears throat> now, many of ourselves, if not most of them, not all of them, but many, if not most, are sloughed off and replaced by other cells, like our hair or our skin. These cells come to life, they exist for a while, they move up through the dermis, epidermis, whatever, and they eventually are sloughed off as dead cells and newer cells replace them. This is not the case in certain, like our brain cells and things, but most of our cells of our body pertains to us to slough off dead cells and replace them with new cells. All right, so I think that the better way of seeing the resurrection of the body is that yes, whatever does remain of our body will be part of that which rises. On the other hand, God's not going to be running around looking for parts of the body in a, in in the in this uh, I don't know the, the the stomach of a fish or something like that. Um, it it will be truly our bodies, but it will be <clears throat> same soul that formed our body will be the same soul that forms the resurrected body, which will be perfected. So this, I think, is the first way. So it's truly our body. So I will look a lot like myself and so on. But that doesn't mean I'll have every imperfection that I always had. For example, some people walk with a limp or some people are, like you say, born missing a limb. So whatever pertains to the perfection of our bodies will rise and be glorified. Whatever was imperfect will rise, but also be glorified or in many cases discarded. There are those limited situations where certain of our scars or our uh, will will manifest something of our glory, and those will retain. Um, and I think that's the best we can say. Monsignor, you Beautiful. you use the word identity. To what extent do we will we have individual identity? Same as we do now. Um, there, absolutely. In fact, will be our individuality. I think will be even more manifest in heaven because there's aspects of our individuality that often get suppressed by commonality. Um, we also be, are expected to behave certain ways and to say certain things and not say certain things. And they, we tend to adopt a kind of a phoniness, if we're not careful, a kind of a false identity that we present to the public. And I don't mean that we're outright lying. I'm just saying that, again, we tend to ex experience a lot of pressure to be conformed. Whereas I think in heaven, this what is truly good and glorious and about our our specific identity will be on display and there'll be less, there won't be phoniness in heaven and things like that. So, and again, I'm just using reason here. I haven't been to heaven to tell you all this and come back, but I think that what we could easily presume here is that, yes, um, I will look like I look now or in a better, I look better. Um, but I mean, who is, they, they, they didn't always recognize Jesus immediately but they could eventually recognize him. Um, and so there will be some alteration of our appearance, but it'll still be who we, who we basically are. There comes a moment they say, oh, it is him, look. It isn't just someone who looks like him. Uh, their eyes are open and now they recognize him and so on. So uh, all of these are just kind of long ways of answering your question, which I think says, yes, we will certainly be very specifically ourselves in a way even more perfect than we are now. All right, maybe one last point, then we could do some implications here. Um, I read here in uh, Torah of the Summa by Monsignor Paul Glenn, which is an excellent book for anyone who's looking for a, a synopsis of the of the St. Thomas's um, 
teachings, and it Good says, "Risen bodies will not require the things they need on earth to sustain them, preserve them, move them to development or further perfection. Risen bodies will not eat or drink or sleep or beget offspring or feel the pull of fleshly appetites or passions." I was a little bummed we don't eat in heaven, but once again, eating is is a means to an end, not an end in itself. Um, we enjoy eating and these types of things, but and I, I was sort of puzzled there because. I know it's, it, we, we talk about the yeah. image of heaven is this great banquet. And uh, yeah. so, I mean, what are your thoughts on eating in heaven? Is that, is that a definitive answer? There is no eating in heaven. Oh, we don't need it. We don't sleep in heaven. We're always awake. Um, yeah, so yeah. Sometimes we just, we look forward to going to bed at night and it's just like, you know, time of rest. So I want mm -hmm. to say a few words about that and then we can implications. Yeah. I think first of all, in, in his resurrection body, Jesus does eat. And one time he said, give me a fish. By the way, a kid told me the meaning of this gospel. He says, see, I know, I know why he ate that fish, Father. I said, well, tell me. And the kid said, because if he was a ghost, that fish would have fallen right out on the ground. <laughs> <laughs> Makes sense to me. Yeah. yeah, that's how kids are, aren't they? They're great. But uh, I will say that um, uh, Jesus was able to eat in his resurrection body. He did eat. Therefore, I think that the real answer is that in heaven, we can eat. We won't need to eat but we can. And if there's some reason to eat, we will. Um, like you say, there are images of the banquet. On the other hand, remember, an image is not, sometimes we, we lose sight that the image is pointing to something greater. So <laughs> the kind of camaraderie, the enjoyment we get from eating right. here, and it isn't just about the food, it's about the company and you know that kind of stuff. Most of us look forward to a good meal with family or friends um, for lots of reasons. That's an image for the glory that waits for us in heaven. However, uh, Thomas does ask some interesting questions about our body parts and how these, uh, for example, will we need latrines in heaven? Will we need the loo? We need to go to the loo <laughs> if we do eat. And the answer is no. Why? Because right now in our imperfected bodies, we waste a lot. Now, that's to say, we, we can't fully assimilate all the food we take in or liquid, so we, we waste it. We just send it out as waste. Whereas in heaven, there'll be no waste. Well, our bodies will be perfected, and whatever we would eat, if we did, would be fully and perfectly assimilated. There'd be no need for a restroom, even though we'll still have colons and all that. All that's part of absorbing the food until the very end when we waste out whatever can't be processed. Another example, will our hair grow in heaven or our nails, our fingernails? Thomas asks these questions. And again, it may sound trivial, but inquiry minds want to know. So we come across this possibility that, well, why do our hair and our fingernails grow now? Well, again, because cells die and are sloughed off and need to be replaced. Or, for example, with fingernails, they exist to sort of help us through a tough world that's uh, where we have to sometimes, you know, they get damaged and so new a new fingernail needs to be uh, growing out. Likewise, with our hair, uh, these cells die, fall off, and need to be replaced. In heaven, in a perfected body, there will be no death, no possibility or ability to suffer uh, or to encourage injur incur injury and so on. So this will not be necessary that our hair would grow or our fingernails grow. But fingernails and hair are part of what it means to be human. And um, so they'll be there and they won't. Uh, or again, uh, will will we, um, let's see, uh, one other quick question. I forget what it was. But so I, I think that we don't want to completely say we'll never eat in heaven. Right. But I, I do think we can ask, well, why wouldn't we, why, why would we need to eat? So in other words, we, we won't, or again, with the question of sex, uh, well, there's no need for sex because we don't, we don't need to, and we won't procreate in heaven. Now, this leads, of course, to a, a lot of people who in a sex, in a sex obsessed culture, well, man, what fun will heaven be then, man? I mean, good Lord, I mean, if you can't have sex in heaven, man, what good is it, man? I mean, that kind of thing. Um, Peter Kreeft has an interesting, uh, we need to put on our big adult hats now. Let's take off our children's hats and stop giggling. Let's be honest here. Let's say that <clears throat> Peter Kreeft has an interesting answer to this whole question about, well, if, if the greatest, one of the greatest pleasures on earth is sex and food and so on, well, if we don't have them in heaven, what good is heaven? Well, he says, well, let's say that you were trying to talk to a child about the facts of life. And the kid would ask you a question. Okay, like one of the greatest pleasures a kid can imagine is eating candy. 
So you say, okay, like, um, like when when the husband and wife are doing that thing, you know, to make a baby, will, will, will I be able to? If I do that, will I be able to eat candy while I'm having sex? You know, and you know, kid will ask a question, but the question, well, yeah, you could eat candy, but you wouldn't want to. I mean, <laughs> right. And the same thing is true of sex. Now take it up to the next level. Well, it, a lot of things. Most people, one of the more pleasurable things they, they can imagine, at least idealistically, is having sex. But in heaven. There'll be greater intimacy than some acrobatic physical act that we have here on earth can accomplish. You know, yeah, I guess technically, physically, you could pull the thing off, but you wouldn't want to because A, there's no need for it. And B, <clears throat> well, I mean, it's like telling, you know, eating candy while, pardon the expression, having sex. It just doesn't, it's not something that even occurs to you as needed. It's more of a, it's so much of a lesser thing. So you see what I'm saying? We have to understand that some of the great pleasures on earth, like food and drink and, and camaraderie and things like this that we have at meals or, you know, the intimacy of a married couple, these things are, are beautiful to behold, but heaven is so much greater, so much more glorious. There'll be an, an intimacy there that we can hardly even imagine here um, of a fulfillment of whatever eating gives us here that will be so much greater that these things won't even occur to us as needful or necessary. We won't miss them. Right, right. That makes that. Actually, that's how Peter Kreef deals with this. Yeah. No, it it's actually makes perfect sense. I mean, that candy analogy makes sense, and even what you're saying about sex makes perfect sense because you're like, one is so elevated above the other. Like it's you're 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 comparing something that's not even comparable, and so we. I yeah. Think you right. don't Understand the pleasure that's waiting for us is way better than mm -hmm. what, can, what 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 the human pleasures can give us. That's why we're like, sure. we give up our steak sandwich or. Yeah, doing? right. You mean to say I won't be able to have a Big Mac in heaven? <laughs> I mean, come on. I can I promise you, you won't be worrying about a Big Mac. In fact, I want. In, in, in my, by the way, in my risen body, y'all. I right now, my 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 decrepit body. If I just drive past McDonald's, I gain weight. I don't even have to pull in and eat the food. Just drive past, I gain weight. So, but in the in in heaven, I'll be able to drive past the McDonald's and not gain weight, you know. And if I do want to, but, a but you don't Mac, have to drive. Uh, you could just think you're you, you could think uh, you're you think your way past it. That's right. You know, with the agility. Amen. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, so, Monsieur, like one one kind of point. I, mean, I I was actually thinking. I always think out loud, and um, which is bad. But I was thinking with you know the, the bishops' conference just came out with um, another sort of um, document about surgeries and transgender thing which is linked in what we're saying about the body but what are mm, some like just exactly. some practical like closing notes about how we should treat the body on earth maybe in two or three sentences <laughs> or a paragraph considering what we just reflect on what the body will be in heaven yeah well first of all we have to have incredible reverence for our dignity is that we unite the two orders of creation, the material and the spiritual. Never forget your dignity as a human being. We're not trapped in a prison. Our body is not a prison. It is not simply a tool. It is part of our glory. It's part of who we are. I am a body. I am a soul. I am both, right? I'm, I'm those things together. And therefore, again, we want to, first of all, have this awesome respect for our dignity um, in this regard. So, and that then extends to the body per se, which is that I should certainly take good care of my body. I should, um, uh, honor it and respect it by not exposing it to sin or excess. Most of us have weaknesses, um, within this regard, gluttony, lust, you know, these types of things afflict us such that we don't always take good care of our body or get proper rest and so on and so on. At the end of the day, however, uh, we have to therefore honor and reverence our body. On the other hand, there's a, the other extreme to avoid, which is total obsession with the body. Right now, we know that our bodies are especially afflicted with original sin. Even though our soul can be rescued through baptism, our body is still heavily afflicted. Um, it's still dying. It's, it's, it's not perfected. It, it sometimes is at war, not just the body, but that whole mentality that we call the flesh, which is a, a, that we're inimical to God. So what we want to do is to have a certain reverence for the body that, that, that properly cares for it, but not an obsession. Now, I'll give you an example that we all remember. Notice how in COVID, in during that COVID plague, everybody just got obsessed with their body. Uh, Father Larry, you and I would have lo would long for the day when people would be as concerned about their souls 
as they were about their bodies during that whole COVID thing. Everything not shut down. People don't talk like that when they're in mortal sin. They don't care about their soul like that, right? So somewhere in all of this, we want to avoid obsession with the body. We want to also have great reverence for it and give it proper rest and proper nutrition. Um, but also there's an aspect of the body which is still rooted in sin that needs to be brought under our uh, the authority of our intellect and our will uh, under the authority of our soul. And this is very important uh, that we have a certain um, balance in our life, but that the soul for right now, the soul has to have the priority. And I think too many people are willing to go and spend hours and hours every week at some stupid gym, but they can't find any time to go to church. Well, I'm going to tell you right now, your body, whatever you do, is still going to fall into decrepitude and it's still going to die. Mm. What you want to do is to care for your soul mm. and, and regard your soul even more highly than your body right now, which is our primary focus. So we love and respect and honor the body, but we don't let it take an undue importance such that the soul itself is, 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 uh, is in some way afflicted. Um, and, um, so I, I hope that, I guess mainly the main word here I'd be looking for is some balance, you know, right. and, uh, we have both errors in our culture today. One that disregards the body. I can manipulate the body at will. I can kill it when I'm suffering. I can just use it and adapt it and try to turn it, you know, do these crazy transgender surgeries or also this tattoo mania that people are into today. They treat their skin like a canvas. They can just freely paint over. I mean, one little butterfly tattoo on your ankle is one thing, but I mean, people today, I mean, they're all tatted up. And I'm like, really? Is that a way of reverencing your, your body? Or some women who are so obsessed with their appearance, they, they just can't accept that God made them a brunette and they're going to become a blonde by God. And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with coloring your hair, but you see the vision. We go overboard with this stuff. At some point, we start to say, the body I have, I hate. I won't accept it. And I can just manipulate it at will. No. All these piercings, cuttings, tattooing. At some point, we reach a point, even just cosmetic surgeries, where we start saying, I've gone past the limit here. I'm treating my body like a tool or something I can just use at will. So uh, I hope that helps. Yeah, no, I I think so, Monsignor. I think that might tie into maybe as possible thing about the bishops thing, which I was really happy they wrote something about this. But yes. you know, this is very insightful. And I, I'll just close with this. Um, I mean, we read this book called Alter Christus, and I was struck by this. He was talking about the priest in prayer, and he said, uh, "I know a fellow that drives to Holy Mass on Sundays with his family. They pass bikers and joggers along the river. Everyone worships something. Kids, he'll say to his children, we must mm. worship God.'" And we must worship him in the way the Christ worship him, the way the church commands in accordance with her perennial tradition. We are social creatures. And to pray in common with other believers is integral, not only with our faith, but also in a healthy social life. And so he's a dress rehearsal for heaven, you know, where the body and soul will be there. Amen. So, awesome. Well, Bill, thanks for setting this up. Monsignor, as always, thanks for being with us. And uh, would you give us a blessing? Thank you. All right. Um... Uh, may the peace and the blessing of Almighty God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit come upon you and remain with you always. Amen. Amen.